A faint gurgle shook the magnolias behind them, and a long liquid whisper answered it from the thicket of laurel above their heads. It's a little late in the year for them. They're ending just as we begin. Susie laughed. I hope when our turn comes we shall say good-bye to each other as sweetly. It was in her husband's mind to answer, They're not saying good-bye, but only settling down to family cares. But as this did not happen to be in his plan, or in Susie's, he merely echoed her laugh, and pressed her closer. The spring night drew them into its deepening embrace. The ripples of the lake had gradually widened and faded into a silken smoothness, and high above the mountains the moon was turning from gold to white, in a sky powdered with vanishing stars. Across the lake the lights of a little town went out, one after another, and the distant shore became a floating blackness. A breeze that rose and sank brushed their faces with the scents of the garden. Once it blew out over the water a great white moth, like a drifting magnolia petal. The nightingales had paused, and the trickle of the fountain behind the house grew suddenly insistent. When Susie spoke, it was in a voice languid with visions. "'I've been thinking,' she said, "'that we ought to be able to make it last at least a year longer.' Her husband received the remark without any sign of surprise or disapprobation. His answer showed that he not only understood her, but had been inwardly following the same train of thought. "'You mean,' he inquired after a pause, "'without counting your grandmother's pearls?' "'Yes, without the pearls.' He pondered a while, and then rejoined in a tender whisper, "'Tell me again just how.' "'Let's sit down, then.' No, I like the cushions best. He stretched himself in a long willow chair, and she curled up on a heap of boat cushions, and leaned her head against his knee. Just above her, when she lifted her lids, she saw bits of moon-flooded sky encrusted like silver in a sharp black patterning of plain boughs. All about them breathed of peace and beauty and stability, and her happiness was so acute that it was almost a relief to remember the stormy background of bills, and borrowing against which its frail structure had been reared. "'People with a balance can't be as happy as all this,' Susie mused, letting the moonlight filter through her lazy lashes. People with a balance had always been Susie Branch's bugbear. They were still, and more dangerously, to be Susie Lansing's. She detested them detested them doubly, as the natural enemies of mankind, and as the people one always had to put oneself out for. The greater part of her life having been passed among them, she knew nearly all that there was to know about them, and judged them with the contemptuous lucidity of nearly twenty years of dependence. But at the present moment her animosity was diminished, not only by the softening effect of love, but by the fact that she had got out of those very people more, yes, ever so much more, than she and Nick, in their hours of most reckless planning, had ever dared to hope for. After all, we owe them this, she mused. Her husband, lost in the drowsy beatitude of the hour, had not repeated his question, but she was still on the trail of the thought that he had started. A year, yes, she was sure now that with a little management they could have a whole year of it. It was their marriage their being together, and away from bores and bothers, in a comradeship of which both of them had long ago guessed the immediate pleasure, but she at least had never imagined the deeper harmony. 
It was at one of their earliest meetings, at one of the heterogeneous dinners that the Fred Gillows tried to think literary, that the young man who chanced to sit next to her, and of whom it was vaguely rumoured that he had written, had presented himself to her imagination as the sort of luxury to which Susie Branch, heiress, might conceivably have treated herself as a crowning folly. Susie Branch, pauper, was fond of picturing how this fancied double would employ her millions. It was one of her chief grievances against her rich friends that they disposed of theirs so unimaginatively. "'I'd rather have a husband like that than a steam yacht,' she had thought at the end of her talk with the young man who had written, and as to whom it had at once been clear to her that nothing his pen had produced, or might hereafter set down, would put him in a position to offer his wife anything more costly than a rowboat. His wife! As if he could ever have one! For he's not the kind to marry for a yacht, either. In spite of her past, Susie had preserved enough inner independence.